Okay, here we go. Um, so we're going to see what's called priorities. And our, our, our memory verse is up here, Mark 12, 30. Read it good and strong. Ready, go. Jesus said the most important. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second Okay, so last week we talked about your favorite subject, which was what? Me, myself, and I. Good job. That's y'all's favorite subject. Today we're going to talk about my favorite subject, which is? Me. Okay. Part six days this, my pastor's priorities. And remember, this sermon is not for y'all, okay? So don't get offended. It is not for y'all. Okay, there are so many good things that a pastor can do with his time during the week. Especially here at Solid Rock, I could get involved in um, the youth ministry. I could get involved in the amens group, the youth, uh, the prayer, the Bible study. I could have one-on-one meetings, take people to lunch, the hope ministry for the homeless. I could visit sick people. I could call people when they miss church. All kind of great things. But if I do all those things, I would be a horrible pastor, and I would greatly displease God. Um, Studies show that we should spend 80% of our time and energy on our top three priorities in life. And you know, I've discovered that you have in life right now what you've been prioritizing in your life. That is what you get. And at the end of your life, you will have the things that you prioritized. Now, I hope you prioritize God. I hope you prioritize your family and your love. I hope you prioritize your health because that's all you're going to get is what you put in front. Now, when we put God first and we get our priorities in order, everything falls into place. When our priorities are out of order, everything is jumbled in our life. Okay? So we're looking at Exodus chapter 18. We're going to start in the middle of the chapter, go back to the beginning towards the end. And as you see in your handout, I have four points today, not three. So not only is it not a sermon for you, but it's a long sermon. So exciting. I can feel the, the intensity in the room. Exodus 18, 13 through 18 says this. Moses, we're talking about the greatest pastor in the Bible. Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. Now, those are not or should not be typical pastoral hours, okay? If a pastor has to work from morning until evening every single day, he has a church that is filled with needy people and people that are discontent and always blame their problems on the pastor not doing enough or the church not doing enough, okay? Which is not y'all, right? <laughs> okay, so this church model is going to wear people out. It's when his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing all that he was doing for the people, he said, what are you doing? Why do you sit with these people and stand around from morning till evening? And Moses said this, because they email me. Because they send me a text. Because they invite me to all their things. Because they call me when they have a problem. Because I hear through the grapevine that they won't meet with anybody except for me. Because they come to me. That's why I'm doing this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, replied, what you're doing is not good. And I thought it was good to do things for people. I thought it was good to serve people, but what you're doing is not good. You and the people will wear yourselves out. You cannot handle this work alone. Okay, this is a very typical church model in America. And this is why um, right now pastoring is the third highest suicide rate of jobs in America. And it continues to grow. It's also why churches are closing down every year. In America, 5% of churches close and 1% open. So we're going down 4% of churches every year in America. And it's because the pastor's doing all the work. 
It's because the pastor's getting burned out. It's because people always blame everything on the pastor. And he has this tremendous burden to fix everybody and to help everybody. And in that, he neglects his family. He neglects his time with God. And this wonderful father-in-law came along and said, you can't do it. You're going to wear yourself out. And you're going to wear the people out. How are the people getting worn out? Well, somebody sends an email and says, I'd like to meet with Pastor Moses. And Aaron, his assistant pastor, said, okay, that'd be great. Just get in the back of the line. And they say, well, where's, where's, the, where's the line at? Well, you see that mountain over there? It's around the other side of that mountain. Remember, there were between 1.5 to 3 million people. Well, when am I going to get to see Moses? Probably three to six months from now. It wears the people out, and it wears the pastor out. So I have four points for you today on this, and um, I'm going to start with my second priority, then three and four, and then end with my first priority, okay? Second priority for your notes is this, pray. A pastor's job is to pray and spend time with God. Jethro said in the very next scripture, verse 19, Listen to me and I will give you counsel. You must stand before God for the people so that you can bring the difficulties to God. Okay, he did not say uh, you should stand before the people for God. He said your job as a pastor to lead these people is you need to spend time with God for the sake of the people. Not spend time with the people for the sake of God. Um, on Sunday morning, you see me for 30 minutes stand like this. That's all I get in front of you is 30 minutes. The reason I can stand like this for 30 minutes confidently and prepared is because I sit like this for 30 hours a week. <laughs> for 30 hours a week, I'm sitting just like this so that I can stand before you for 30 minutes a week and do this. Now, the only way I can do that is to use the word no. I can't go to every invitation, I can't go to every graduation, I can't be a part of every party, every group, every meeting. I have to learn the word no. Uh, it's very interesting how many pastors do everything they can possibly do to help everybody, and they wonder when they get up on a Sunday morning why they're not prepared for their sermon, why they're not feeding the sheep properly. Um, it is more important that your pastor spends time with God than he does with you. And um, if you're the kind of person that always needs the pastor's attention, there's a reason for that. And there's an amazing scripture in Acts 4. I've read through it 10 times and never really saw it until the other day. Acts 4.33, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. If you're somebody who always needs the pastor, you always need this person, you always need that person, there's a good chance you're not spending time with God like you should be doing. Um, years ago when I started pastoring, I was 26 years old and I didn't know anything. Nobody taught me nothing. All I knew was like three scriptures and I felt like God wanted me to be a pastor. So I called all my friends from high school and I said, man, y'all need to stop smoking pot and come to church. I'm starting a church. And uh, they came to church. They didn't stop smoking pot, but they came to church. So I don't care. The sermons are better, but I'm just kidding. Anyway, and so, um, so they came to church and there were some other people that started coming. We met in the library. There's about 12 to 20 people, you know. And there was this one elderly lady, and on Sunday morning one day she said, um, you need to come visit me this, this week on a Wednesday. I said, okay, I'll come visit you. I thought, that's what pastors are supposed to do. So I went to visit her on a Wednesday. She lived in Prestwick, and um, when I got there, she said, I need you to vacuum the downstairs of my house. So I thought, well, okay, I guess that's what pastors do. So I vacuumed the downstairs of her house. She made me a sandwich, and then I left. That next Sunday, she says, you need to come back and visit me this Wednesday. I thought, okay, I came back again that Wednesday. This time, she said, I need you to vacuum the upstairs of my house. So I vacuumed the upstairs of her house. And I thought, okay, I could be doing other things with my time, but I guess this is what pastors do. So in the next week, she said, I need you to come back again this Wednesday. This time, she had an elderly husband. He's 90-something years old, 
wanting well. She said, I need you to babysit my husband while I go get groceries. I thought, dear God, I think if this is what I'm supposed to do, I think I'm ready to quit. I don't think I want to be a pastor, but I babysat her husband. The following week, she told me to come back again. This time, she wanted me to feed her husband. It took like an hour for him to eat a bowl of cereal, so I fed her husband for her. Finally, the next Sunday, I said, listen, I said, I love you. I'm so glad you're at my church. I said, but I don't think I can come see you anymore. I said, I have so much work to do, and I'm trying to prepare for Sunday morning, and I'm trying to train leaders. I don't think I have the time to come and visit you. And she put her long, old, nasty finger in my face, and she said, if you don't come visit me, I'm never coming back to your church again. And I said, if I get that in writing, would you be willing to sign it for me? Because <laughs> I don't need anything like that. Here's the problem. She was needy. Um, if you are a needy person, always complaining, never serving, there's a good chance that nothing I do can help you in the first place. You've got to go to God and you've got to learn how to give him your problems, let him help you. The first priority for me is to pray, or, or the second priority as a pastor. Number three is this, and that's to preach. I have to feed the sheep. Jethro went on to say in Exodus 18, 20, this is such a great chapter, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them, watch this, the way they must walk and the work that they must do. Now, every sermon I preach is, is in these two categories. I teach you the way, which is character, and the work, which is ministry. He told Moses, you've got to teach them how they should live, how to live righteous. Now, I know we're already righteous by the blood of Jesus, but we should still learn to strive to live that way. You live righteous, and then you serve God. That's what every sermon should be boiled down to. And um, I personally, I don't preach to unbelievers. Um, I think that's what evangelists and missionaries do. I preach to Christians. So if you're here and you're not saved, I'm really proud of you because we don't hold back anything with the word. You know, we preach to Christians. Um, but it's very important that every Sunday morning I am prepared to feed the sheep. Now, my strategy for growing our church is to feed the sheep. My strategy for helping widows and orphans is to feed the sheep. My strategy for winning the lost is to feed the sheep. My strategy for evangelizing is to feed the sheep. My strategy for growing the men's group is to feed the sheep. And here's why. Healthy sheep always produce sheep. Um, the shepherd doesn't produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. And the healthiest sheep in the church are the ones who are always bringing other people into the kingdom. The reason they're healthy is because they get fed on a regular basis. Um, it is not my job as the pastor to do the work of the ministry. It is my job as a pastor to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, it is my job as a believer to do the work. As a believer, I serve in the area of music. But as a, that's my service. In other words, I work my 40 hours a week as a pastor. I serve after that on the, on the music team, writing the parodies and, and doing stuff like that. And once I give that away, I'm going to serve in another area. But my job as a pastor is not to do the work. My job as a pastor is to equip you to do the work. I'll show you. Ephesians 4.11 Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here's why. To equip his people for service. Um, Satan called a worldwide convention. And in his opening speech, he told his demons, We can't keep Christians from going to church, but we can keep their pastors so busy and stressed out that the sheep never get fed. The demons shouted, How can we do this, Satan? Satan said, it's easy. We send them needy people who get offended easily and love to complain. People who make suggestions but never serve themselves. Discontent people who blame their lack of growth on the church. If that doesn't work, we keep the pastor so busy with good things that he remains overworked and away from his wife and children. 
We flood them with emails, texts, and phone calls from people who are convinced that the pastor has the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And we make sure the pastor feels tremendous guilt for every person who is disappointed in his efforts. So that the pastor's mind is always on pleasing people rather than pleasing God. It was a great convention. The demons were eager to get to their assignments, causing pastors all over the world to become so burned out that the Christians who attend their church never truly get fed the Word of God. You know, um, most pastors that are, have unhealthy church, ours is very, very healthy. Most pastors do all the work. They never get time to study. One of the greatest compliments I get probably once or twice a month is a pastor from another church who emails me and says, I hope you don't mind we're using your sermons. You know, I don't have time to study. I'm doing all this, doing this. I hope you don't mind we're taking your notes. I said, man, I never mind. Take all of it. I'll send them. You know, I have 800 sermons. I'll send them all. It's e- I give you three points. It's easy to duplicate. It's, it's, a, it's a great honor when they email me with that, except for one time uh, this couple was in our church years ago, and um, the wife was going around like prophesying to people before and after church in a very weird, weird way. And so I had to sit them down. I said, listen, um, I said, your wife may have a gift of prophecy, but she's kind of being weird with it. Do you mind if we train her and, and help her? And they said, oh, you're the worst pastor ever. You're so controlling. We're never coming back to your church. You know, we don't like you, all this stuff. I thought, okay, whatever. So they went and started a church down the street, and there's maybe 10, 15 people. And um, one day I was in a music store in Myrtle Beach, and I saw these free CDs on the shelf, and it was from that, that church, that pastor. And it said free CDs, and it was sermons. I thought, oh, and I looked through it, and I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I've preached a sermon on every one of these subjects in here. And so I took one of the CDs to listen to it, and it was my exact same sermon. <laughs> I thought, at least change the title, you know, whatever. But anyway, I think it's awesome they do that. Pastors need, they need help. They need, I'm, it's like I'm their secretary for all these different pastors. I love it. Uh, Psalms 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to, everybody say that word right there, spend. You know, that's the same word we use when we talk about money. Teach us to spend our time wisely. You know, time is actually more valuable than money. And here's why. Um, we can make more money, you just can't make more time. Now, time and money are the same in a way as it has to be budgeted. It has to be budgeted. Um, you know, I get my paycheck, and my first 10% goes to the, the, the church as a tithe. After that, you know, I'll pay bills, I'll do things for people, all these kind of things. And um, the other day, this past week, actually, I, went, I was so rude, but I went off on somebody. They called me and asked me for money, and I give them money already every month. I'm always giving this particular person money. And they called, and they wanted more. I said, listen, I, said, listen, I have five kids two grandkids, a wife. I said, I have a mortgage. Uh, it's not a you know, big market common house. It's just a normal little house. I said, I, I, got, I got things. That I, I tithe. I, I'm sponsoring a kid here. I'm doing this stuff. I said, I'll give you the money because I have it. But I need you to tell me where you want it to come from. If I'm going to give you money, you tell me, do I pull it away from my groceries? Do I pull it from my kids that are in college? Do I pull it from, I'm sponsoring this missionary? Do I pull it from my, do I pull my electric bill? Do I not pay my, you tell me, I'll, I have the money, but you tell me where you want it to come from. Now, the same thing is true with time. I have the time to spend with everybody, but you tell me where to take it. Do I take it from the time with my wife? Do I take it from the time when I'm at the gym trying to take care of myself? Do I take it from my study time, my prayer time? Do I take it from meeting with elders? Do I take it from training leaders? I have the time to respond. I have the time to meet. I have the time to talk. But you tell me, where do you want me to pull it from? It has to be budgeted. Same thing is true in your life. But just because someone calls you and begs you and please do this doesn't mean you have to say yes. 
Every time you say yes to this one, I just need you to know, you're saying no to something else. You're saying no to your quiet time with Jesus. You're saying no to your own health and your sleep that you need. You're saying no to your family. You know, last week I, I had lunch with my, my friend Jason Potter. Y'all know Jason. And um, he's very similar, he and I. He's, he's like a pastor in the business world, right? He's incredibly uh, popular. He's always got something going on. He's training people here. He's doing deals over there. And last week we met, and he's got a TV show, you know. Last week we met for lunch. And he met with me. We, we talked for two hours. Two hours. That was like gold to me because you know what he could have done? He could have spent that time with his children. He could have spent that time with his wife. He could have been doing a business deal and making money. He could have answered the 15 calls that he missed while we were sitting there, but he didn't. He spent time with me. That's like gold. You understand? It's just like money. It has to be budgeted in some way. Are you with me? Um, one of, the, one of the most horrible things that somebody ever said to me on a Sunday morning, I almost wanted to slap him. They said, um, this guy came to church and he said, slap him in the Holy Ghost, you know, like, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, you know, like that. But um, he said, he came to our service, he, he was visiting around the town, he said, oh, that was such a great service, the music was awesome, oh man, the, the word was great, I had such a, and then he said to me, he said, where do you work at from Monday to Saturday? I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church. He said, I know, but where do you work? What's your other jobs? Where do you really work at? I said, huh? He said, well, I know you work on Sunday morning. What do you do from Monday to Saturday? I said, did you really enjoy the service? He said, yes. I said, that's what I do from Monday to Saturday. I'm getting leaders all set where they need to be. I'm preparing. I'm meeting with God. We're getting music together. All these other things so that we can feed you what you need to go out and serve God properly. Uh, my priority number four is this. I have to pastor, and that is, means uh, point leaders. Leaders are not elected in the Bible, and I feel so sorry for churches that elect people. They elect them based on popularity, and it should never be like that. It should be appointed by the pastor. Exodus 18.21, Jethro was so wise. Here's the next thing he tells Moses. Moreover, you shall select able men who are trustworthy and fear God and appoint them as leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You see that word able? Um, there's this phrase going around in America by, by TV preachers, and it's an untrue phrase that says, um, you don't need ability, you just need availability. Okay, that's not true at all. Now, I think their heart is you just need to give your life to God, and then he'll use you, and I understand that. But you need to have abilities. In other words, if you cannot sing, we're not going to let you sing on a microphone, okay? You can sing out there, but not up here. You have to have ability, okay? So when I appoint our elders and leaders... Um, it's based on not only if they love God and they're trustworthy, but also they're actually able to do the work. Okay, it's a big thing. Um, my leadership gifting, one of my greatest giftings, is that I can spot potential and ability in somebody very quickly. I can spend 30 seconds with somebody and I can go ahead and visualize the next 20 years of how God wants to use them in the kingdom. I'm very good at that. I am horrible at spotting character. Horrible. I, am the, I have failed so many times as a pastor because I put someone in a position because ability and I don't see their character until they've already gotten the position. I am horrible at that. I mean, I am the worst. That's why I have elders to help me when I say, hey, I'd like to use this person. They're like, well, you might need to wait a second. There's something they can see that I can't see. This guy years ago who was going to help me with the music, um, he had so much ability. I mean, he played the piano, sang, played by ear, read music, and I was finally going to be able to give that part of ministry away. I was so excited. Great ability, horrible character. I get a call one day, uh, he needs me to bail him out of jail because he beat his wife the night before. 
I said, okay, dude, we need to talk. I, went and got, I thought for sure those first words were going to be, I'm so sorry, I need help, I'll do whatever it takes. His first words were this, this Sunday when I sing, if my wife's not up there with me, I'm not going to be doing it. I was like, dude, you just beat your wife and went to jail. We're not going to talk about doing it right now. We're going to talk about getting you help and, and, and getting you healthy. Here's my problem. I can't ever spot character. And anybody that comes, I have some people that come into our church, and the first thing they want to do is give me their card about all their gifts. Just want you to know, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can do. The Bible says you've got to be faithful with little before you can be trusted with much. Okay, so that's, a, that's, a, that's an area that I'm not, I'm not good at, at, at doing. And let me show you the first appointed deacons in the Bible. Acts 6, 1 through 4. When the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint because the widows were neglected. In other words, this area of ministry was not doing well. Then the twelve gathered all the disciples and said, It is not right for us to neglect the teaching of the word in order to wait on tables. Choose seven men. Choose. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. In other words, it's not just okay to speak in tongues. We need you to have some common sense as well, right? Wisdom and spirit. Whom we may, there's that word, appoint over this task. And then we, the apostles, will give our attention to prayer and teaching of the word. The reason that leaders need to be appointed and not elected is because when they're elected, it's a popularity contest. When it's appointed by the pastor, it's because the pastor has to submit his life to them. The pastor's the one who has to be transparent and submit his flaws and his faults. That's why the pastor needs to find people who they, that he knows loves him and then loves God as well. And our elders, I intentionally appointed our elders who are very different from me. I have one that's full of compassion. I have one that's detailed. I have one that's strong-willed, one that's behind the scenes. I got them all perfectly around me. So when I need help, I can hear the different ideas that God is giving them that I would not be able to come up with uh, myself. Here's the first appointed elders in the Bible. I love this, Numbers 11, 14 to 17. Moses said, I'm not able to hear all these people alone because the burden's too heavy. This is the prayer of every burned-out pastor. If you treat me like this, God, please just kill me here and now. Just kill me, God. Just take me now. Take me now. These people, God, kill me because of the people. I don't, kill me. You know, ministry would be so, pastors have a saying, like we go to lunch, we say, man, ministry would be so great if it weren't for all the people. <laughs> anyway, so the Lord said, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, I'll tell you what that means in a second, that they may stand with you, Moses, not stand against you, but stand with you. Then I'll talk with you there and I'll take the spirit that's upon you, not a different vision, not a different way of doing it. I'll take the spirit that's on the pastor. I'll put that same spirit upon the elders. They shall, they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it alone. Okay, the tabernacle of presence uh, was, tabernacle meeting was where the presence of God was. And here's the point of that. When the elders get together with the pastor, the goal is not to hear the opinion of the elders. The goal is for the elders to help the pastor hear from God. See, we don't want our church run by what the pastor wants to do. We want our church run by what God wants to do. So when the elders get together, if they say, well, John Paul, I think this, I think this, I'll say, now, do you think that's what God wants us to do? Well, I think, okay, good, then I want to hear that. I don't know, I doubt it, then I don't want to hear that. I want, I want you to help, I want you to tell me what God is saying to you so I can, I can hear God through you. That's, that's the point of what the elders do. Okay, so last point. This is my very first priority above every single one of you in this room as it should be for every pastor. Number one is this, to be a good husband, a good father, and a good grandfather. 
1 Timothy 3.12, if a man cannot manage his own family, how can he be a leader in church? So I spent years um, taking care of the people above my family, years. And I lost my family. I lost everything. And, and y'all know my story. Um, God has restored me greatly because I put my priorities back in order. And I know that I make fun of my wife a lot because she's easy to make fun of because, you know, the vegan stuff and the time she tried to kill me by leaving the windows closed when she left the stove on all night. And then the other story I tell, remember the time where she left her curling iron on right, right where I'd get my toothbrush at? That was a good time. And um, good times, good times. And so um, I just want to let you know, she's the greatest woman you could ever imagine. Everything you see is truly who she is behind the scenes. Um, it's amazing what a man can accomplish when his wife respects him tremendously, um, serves him with her whole heart, and is willing to hear any problem that he possibly has and still love him through it. And um, if, if you want your husband to accomplish what he needs to accomplish, you can do the same thing as a wife. Um, it's obvious that women are smarter. It's obvious they're, they're more in tune with their emotions. It's obvious they're more spiritual. You just need to pretend like sometimes your husband <laughs> is more spiritual. You know, my wife is very, very smart. She loves the word. She's always asking me, what do you think God wants to do with this? What do you think God says about that? That's the greatest honor you could ever give a man, especially when you know all of his falls, faults, you know, all of his flaws, you know, everything that's wrong with him, and yet you still respect him tremendously. I mean, she is an amazing, amazing woman, full of integrity. She'll serve the church, you know, as much as she possibly can. Uh, she takes care of me. She takes care of my kids. And because of that, she's my number one priority and will always be. So if she's not taken care of, I'll step away from this in a heartbeat. She's number one. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to show you something that I don't think any of you have ever seen in the Bible. I don't think any of you have ever heard this story about to me. At the beginning of Exodus 18, at the very beginning, in verse 2, it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought Zipporah, Moses' wife, to meet Moses after he sent her away. See, a lot of people don't realize this when they're reading all through Exodus, but Moses and his wife Zipporah, they got into a huge fight on the way back to Egypt. Such a horrible fight, he sent her and his sons away to go stay with her parents. Now, I need you to understand, 40 years, you know, Moses did his thing, murdered a guy, now he's 80 years old. Now God's ready to use him. God's ready to start the whole nation of Israel over. He's called Moses to be the greatest pastor in the whole Bible to deliver his people. And this pastor gets in a fight with his wife on the way there to do the work of the ministry, and he sends her away. Exodus 4 records the fight. Verse 20 says, Then Moses took his wife and sons, set them on a donkey, and returned to Egypt. Verse 24, It came to pass on the way that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Um, I don't think it'll, many of you have really seen this in Scripture before. It doesn't say um, that the Lord met with Moses and sought to hurt him a little. It doesn't say that God sought to punish him severely, it says God sought to kill the very man who he called to pastor his two million people. Now, why would God do that? Verse 25 says, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. And now, when ladies get in fights, sometimes they throw things, okay? 
<laughs> Ladies, we prefer that you throw like a pillow or, you know, your, your pocketbook, or maybe a cell phone, you know, if you really want to do some damage. This woman, she was angry, okay? Whew, she took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son, poor kid, and she threw it at her husband's feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. Because of that, God let Moses go because of the circumcision. Why was God going to kill Moses? Here's why. God sent Moses back to his people. One of the first things he was told to preach was the reinstitution of circumcision. The Israelites had been in slavery for 430 years. They stopped the circumcision. started with Abraham. It was a covenant, and it was a, it's a picture of salvation. It's the circumcision of our heart. Um, uh, without going into too many details, it, it, it's, it's, it's the, the thing that helps you reproduce. You know, born again, it's the most um, protective part of you, and you cut it and you give it to God, and it's like, God, I'm giving you my life, my heart. It was a picture of salvation, right? The, the covenant of salvation was the covenant of circumcision. And God said, Moses, you're to go and preach this to the people. And here's the problem. Moses was about to go preach to the people something he wasn't even living in his own heart. He was about to go help all of these people get close to God. And he didn't even do it with his own family. And God said, hell no, Moses. I am going to kill you. And his wife, who was the spiritual one, actually did the job. And God let Moses go. It's a very traumatic scene. I need you to just picture the screaming and fighting and one kid screaming because he just got circumcised by his mom, which is the worst thing in the world. And, and they're throwing stuff and, and the father-in-law is saying, calm down, it's just a horrible scene. You know, <laughs> circumcision started with Abraham, right? God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Uh, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Abraham says, what's the sign? And God says, the sign is circumcision. And I feel like Abraham said, Noah got a rainbow, you know? <laughs> you just make it rain or something. <laughs> anyway, very, very traumatic scene. Okay, here, it, when Moses' wife and kids, they were not with him during the most supernatural portions of his ministry. His wife did not get to sleep with her husband on the night then he stood before the leader of the world and said, God said to let his people go. His family didn't get to see the Nile River turn to blood and the plagues destroy their enemies. His children didn't get to see their daddy hold up his staff and part the Red Sea. When we get to Exodus 18, all that stuff had already happened. And now he sends back for his family. Is it possible that so many pastors are pouring into the church so much that their own family misses out on the promised land? Is it possible they're so burned out helping everybody else, their own wife and kids are suffering on the front row and you don't even know it? I can't even tell you how many pastors I talk to that are so guilt-stricken because their kids are 18, 19, 20, leaving the house, and one's a homosexual, and one's an atheist, and one is right, and here's why their father, who was the pastor, neglected the most important ministry that he was given. I'll close with the most self-serving scripture I could ever read you, okay? 
Hebrews 13, 17, remember it's not for y'all. <clears throat> Submit to your spiritual leaders, for they watch over your souls as those who will give an account to God. Give them reasons to do this with joy <clears throat> and not sorrow. You know, if there's anything I would say to a, a, a large group of pastors, it would be this. On your day of judgment, when you're standing before the God of the universe, nobody in your church is going to be standing next to you. There'll be one person standing next to you. His name is Jesus. So if you're not pleasing him, it's not going to be a good day for you. That's my encouragement to you. That's it. So that's the pastor's priorities. Okay. Let's